This is Affliction Affliction Fiction, Fiction, a podcast regarding writers and artists who quite literally make their characters sick. I'm Jennifer Horlick. And I'm James Ewer. On this show, we analyze illnesses that exist in fictional works, such as TV, books, and film, and how they relate to the real world. And this week, we will be taking a look at Meningoencephalitis Virus 1, or MEV1, from Steven Soderbergh's 2011 film, Contagion. Contagion is a film that examines the hypothetical global consequences of a pandemic of MEV1. For the sake of knowing what we're dealing with, we'll talk about what caused the virus right up front. However, in order to develop suspense in the film, Soderbergh does not explicitly reveal the origins of the disease until the final scene. Nevertheless, a character named Dr. Ali Hextall hints at what research had determined about the source of the virus early on in the film. We're getting the same results as Sussman. We've sequenced the virus and determined its origin, and we've modeled the way it enters the cells of the lung and the brain. And the virus contains both bat and pig sequences. And in the bottom right, you can see the dark green is pig, and the light green is bat. And here you can see the crossover event, uh, bat, bat, and pig, bat. Somewhere in the world, the wrong pig met up with the wrong bat. And you might say that Dr. Ali Hextall is also a carpenter because she hit the nail on the head. Just just stick to the script. Okay. So what ultimately occurred was that a piece of banana that a bat had been feeding on fell into a herd of pigs and was subsequently consumed by one of them. The pig was then taken and prepared by a chef in a casino in Hong Kong. When the chef leaves the kitchen and shakes hands with Beth, she becomes the index case, or the first documented patient with MEV1. It just goes to show, Jennifer, you can't trust these no-good pigs. I've known that since high school. Me too. The movie begins the day after the disease is first contracted by Beth Emhoff, its first victim. At this point, the only visible symptom is an occasional cough. By the end of a mere three days, however, Beth begins having seizures, excretes a white fluid from her mouth, and then dies. In between MEV1's onset and its fatal consequences, other symptoms are seen to occur as well. I think I'm sick. What? What's going on? What kind of symptoms do you have? can't swallow. Severe headache. What's your temperature? 101.8. A character named Dr. Aaron Mears also notes that the disease is transmissible both through the air and via touch and physical contact. So at this point, I think we have to believe this is respiratory. Maybe fomites, too. What's that, fomites? Uh, It refers to transmission from surfaces. The average person touches their face two or three thousand times a day. Two or three thousand times a day? three to five times every waking minute. In between, we're touching doorknobs, water fountains, elevator buttons, and each other. Those things become fomites. Characters in the movie make comparisons between MEV1 and other diseases while trying to understand the viral outbreak that's occurring. The doctor who treats Beth as she dies mentions a slew of diseases that could have caused her death, including encephalitis and meningitis. This makes sense given that MEV stands for meningoencephalitis virus 1. We talked about meningitis in our last episode about zombie outbreaks in TV shows, which you should go listen to, but here's a recap on what this illness entails. Types of meningitis include bacterial, viral, fungal, parasitic, amoebic, and non-infectious. The most frequent of these is viral meningitis, which causes the tissue that covers the brain and spinal cord to become inflamed. Viral meningitis also most closely relates to contagion, since MEV1 is a virus. However, viral meningitis differs from MEV1 in that people recover from viral meningitis with no treatment, 
whereas people who become infected with MEV1 inevitably die if not given treatment. Encephalitis is a similar illness to meningitis that is also mentioned throughout the film. According to Healthline, encephalitis is an inflammation of the brain tissue, the most common cause being viral infections. There are two types of encephalitis, primary and secondary. Primary occurs when the virus directly infects the brain and spinal cord, and secondary occurs when the infection starts at another place in the body and travels to the brain. Though encephalitis is rare, it's a serious disease that can be life-threatening if left untreated. The more mild symptoms of encephalitis include fever, headache, vomiting, stiff neck, and lethargy, while its severe symptoms include a high fever, confusion, drowsiness, hallucinations, slower movements, and coma. Some of the common viruses that cause encephalitis are mumps, Epstein-Barr virus, HIV, cytomegalovirus, and herpes. When Beth's doctor questions what led to her death, he mentions that herpes can lead to encephalitis, which then offends Beth's husband. Shrug emoji. It should be noted that at this point in the script, Jennifer genuinely has put in a shrug emoticon. Listen, you can't offend Matt Damon casually. That doctor should be ashamed. Tell that to Jimmy Kimmel. Viruses leading to encephalitis also include arboviruses, which are viruses carried by insects. A well-known example of an arbovirus is the West Nile virus. If the virus causing encephalitis is herpes, it's treated with antiviral medicines. Otherwise, treatment of encephalitis focuses on relieving symptoms. These treatments include rest, as well as treatments that genuinely work, including painkillers, corticosteroids to reduce brain inflammation, mechanical ventilation to help with breathing, lukewarm sponge baths, I actually don't know if that one would work, anticonvulsants, sedatives, and fluids. Often, more serious complications accompany encephalitis. The complications, which are similar to those of MEV1, are lack of muscle coordination, as seen when Beth drops her coffee mug in the beginning of the movie, vision problems, coma, difficulty breathing, epilepsy, and death. Overall, encephalitis has fairly similar symptoms to the symptoms that the MEV1 virus causes. Hey, Jennifer. Yes? You know, when they had the first ever award ceremony dedicated to television, they called it the Emmy V1. I don't like that. Like version one. Yeah, I know. I get it. Of the Emmy Awards. I get it. Which are awarded to excellence in television production. I know. Then why aren't you laughing? (laughs) I'm laughing on the inside. No, you're not. A real-life virus that Contagion's creators cite as the inspiration for Emmy V1 is Nipah virus. According to the CDC, which actually plays a big role in the plot of contagion, Nipah virus was identified in 1999 during an encephalitis and respiratory illness outbreak involving pig farmers in Malaysia and Singapore. Its name even comes from the Malaysian village, Sungai Nipah, where the pig farmers became infected with encephalitis during the outbreak. It was determined that flying foxes, which are a type of bat, were the reservoir for this virus, much like how bats turn out to be the cause of the disease and contagion. Yeah, but think about it, Jennifer. Without bats, the Chicago Cubs would have never been able to win the World Series. That's true. The virus starts to present symptoms after incubating for 5 to 14 days and can at first cause respiratory illness. The symptoms of the virus include fever, headache, drowsiness, disorientation, and mental confusion, possibly progressing into a coma within 24 to 48 hours. 
If a person survives the virus, they can suffer long-term health issues such as convulsions and personality changes. The CDC reports that during the 1998-1999 Nipah virus outbreak in Malaysia and Singapore, 265 people were infected and 40% of the people who seek treatment in hospitals with a nervous disease stemming from the virus died. Treatment of the Nipah virus involves catching the infection as early as possible and then treating the side effects or symptoms. Since this virus spreads through physical contact, hospitals need to use standard infection control practices and barrier techniques when treating those infected to prevent spread throughout the hospital. There is no proven cure, though the drug ribavirin can be effective against the virus. There is also an immunization that has been tested on ferrets and found to be of benefit. Another disease similar to both the Nipah virus and MEV1 is Hendravirus. It first appeared in 1994 during a respiratory and neurologic disease outbreak in people and horses in a suburb of Brisbane, Australia, called Hendra. The reservoir of this virus, like Nipah virus and MEV1, is the flying fox type of bat, which I must say is a very misleading species name for a bat. It's not a fox at all. And it's... Well, it's flying. (laughs) 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 Hendra virus incubates for 9 to 16 days. After incubation, it leads to respiratory illness and presents severe flu-like symptoms, according to the CDC. The illness can also progress into encephalitis. While this infection is rare, it has a high death rate at 57%. Again, there is no cure for Hendra virus as of today, but the drug ribavirin has been shown as effective against the virus. Ribavirin is an antiviral drug commonly used in conjunction with interferon, a natural occurring protein secreted by cells in the immune system, in order to treat chronic hepatitis C. It acts by interfering with the production of viral DNA and RNA, which helps stop the survival and replication of viruses. So that's a pretty helpful form of treatment. But you know what isn't? What? Our next discussion point. At one point, a character named Alan Crumweed claims that an effective treatment of MEV1 is ingestion of a substance called forsythia. This is forsythia. I've been taking it since the onset of the symptoms. If I'm here tomorrow, you'll know it works. As it turns out, however, Crumweed never even had MEV1, and he had merely been faking the effectiveness of forsythia for publicity. Forsythia is a genus of shrub that is mostly native to Eastern Asia, but it is so obscure as a form of treatment that we weren't able to find many credible sources that had information about its medicinal uses. This makes sense given that since forsythia is a plant, its use as a form of treatment would be classified as herbalism, or using plants for medicinal practices. While not entirely baseless, herbalism today is generally regarded as a form of alternative medicine, and continued practice is not reliant on any scientific evidence proving its effectiveness. WebMD has stated that forsythia has been used to treat inflammation, tonsillitis, sore throat, fever, and gonorrhea. But keep in mind this is WebMD saying all this. And even they concede that there isn't a lot of evidence in support of forsythia actually having an effect on these conditions. In general, what we can say about forsythia is that very little is known about its effectiveness as a form of medicinal treatment. But ultimately, this makes its role in contagion more believable, as it would make Crumweed's assertion of its medicinal properties difficult to immediately disprove and easy for a desperate public to believe. We can also see MEV1 bear resemblance to other conditions, not just in terms of its symptoms, but in regard to its rate of transmission. 
Contagion's depiction of a pandemic inciting costly and widespread social consequences was largely inspired by two outbreaks, which occurred within the decade prior to its release. The first of these was an outbreak of SARS, which came about in 2003. According to the CDC, SARS, or Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, is a disease caused by a coronavirus that spreads through the air. It initially causes an extreme fever and can eventually lead to head and body aches, possible diarrhea, a dry cough, and pneumonia. It transmits itself in much the same way that MEV1 does, respiratory droplets in the air and on contaminated surfaces. According to the Journal of the Royal Society of Medicine, the SARS outbreak, just like the MEV1 outbreak, originated near Hong Kong. Generally, however, it remained constricted to southern China. It affected 8,098 people, of whom 774 died. This made the spread of SARS large enough to be considered an epidemic, though it is comparatively small given that MEV1 killed about 26 million people in the span of its first 131 days. The second outbreak which inspired Contagion's virus was the H1N1 pandemic of 2009. According to the CDC, the H1N1 virus, which surfaced in the U.S. in 2009, was one that had never before been observed in humans or animals. This means that antibodies against the seasonal H1N1 virus did not protect against this new strain. Fear of this outbreak escalated to such an extent that the Director General of the World Health Organization declared it a public health emergency of international concern and continuously raised its pandemic alert level until June 2009, when it was officially declared a pandemic. Eventually, the CDC found that this particular virus contained genes from four different sources, North American swine influenza viruses, North American avian influenza viruses, Eurasian swine influenza viruses, and a human influenza virus. According to the World Health Organization, the pandemic H1N1 virus was spread in the same way as SARS and MEV1. Symptoms of this virus included fever, cough, headache, muscle and joint pain, runny nose, sore throat, and sometimes diarrhea and vomiting. Fortunately, most people who became infected experienced only mild sickness and did not need treatment to make a full recovery. However, the CDC has predicted that the global mortality rate resulting from the 2009 H1N1 virus reached over 12,000 out of a total of over 60 million cases. And that's nothing to sneeze at. That joke is the worst thing to ever happen to me. I tend to have that effect on people. That's all we have to say for now, but what do you think? Do you have a question or contribution to today's discussion? If so, send us an email at afflictionfiction at wnyu.org. For now, I'm Jennifer Horlick. And I'm James Ewer. Thanks for listening. And get well soon. Contagion was written by Scott Z. Burns and is property of Warner Brothers Pictures. Lover's Carvings by Bibio was written by Stephen Wilkinson and is property of Warp Records. 